Hey, buddy, do you want to say a few words about this show before uh, people give it a listen? Yeah, I want to encourage everybody, if they want to uh, to learn more about the uh, Albums Are Dead podcast, to go to albumsaredead.com or visit us on twitter.com slash albumsaredead, on Facebook, again, slash albumsaredead, and uh, where else? We're on Instagram, uh, and if you look for Albums Are Dead on Instagram, how about that? We'll also be there. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. On most podcatchers, if you type in Albums Are Dead, uh, you're going to find us. Tell me, uh, do we make money doing this show? We do not make any money doing this show, and uh, all the songs that we play on the show are for preview purposes only, so make sure to go and support the artists. Even if they don't need support, it's still the right thing to do. Go uh, stream their music legally or buy the tracks, because uh, we want to keep above board, folks. All right, folks. Uh, with all that being said, I think we should get to our episode. What do you think? Let's do it! Do you like the B-52s? I love them. Do you like Blondie? Do you like yeah. Devo? Yeah, yeah. Do you like the Cars? I love them. Well, okay. Do you like the Plastic Ono Band live in Toronto? That was okay. I didn't hear the live album, though. <laughs> yeah, that's how, that's how we got on the subject of the B-52s. Oh, yeah? Oh, all yeah. those bands are on major labels, too. Yeah. yeah. That's it. And the Ramones. And the Clash. And the Six Pistols. The Six Pistols. Not to say we're half as good as any of those bands, but... Pretty much. No way can we touch a plastic ono. Bag. There's our answer for, for the major Not label question. Does it change anything? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it gives you more freedom because you have more money to, you know, Burn. waste. waste yeah. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a kick drum pedal today, which I never would have been able to do. If, if, well, what, what do you say about bands like Mud Honey that come from Seattle but don't, that don't want to be on a major label? Oh, that's, well, fine, that's, that's their prerogative, you know. Each their own. Yeah. Be a better place if we all subscribe to that philosophy, huh? Yeah, it would be. Those are those fucking drums, big man. Oh, it's beautiful. By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil my comments on this song and let it play out for a second, because okay. <laughs> I've got some thoughts. Uh, in the yes. while I'm waiting for it, though, uh, it's albums are dead. Episode 33. I am Slip with five eyes or Slip. Dirty Slip. I am at Megamix.com. Welcome, folks, uh, to a. Uh... Another one of our uh, fantastic episodes. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Nevermind by Nirvana, and this is you driving the bus this week. But here, here we go. Ready? Yes. Just say it. Just say it. Just say it. Just say it. Wrestling reference right out of the gate. Ah, excellent. Well, I mean, it's kind of a wrestling reference. It's more about a dude we used to backyard wrestle with. That's right. All right. It's, it's not a not a mainstream wrestling reference. That will come later. <laughs> I believe. Uh, so yeah, we're talking. Maybe not this week. I, I can't remember. I wrote. I, I you know what? I prepped last week, so these uh, these notes I have are are not as fresh as they usually are. Oh, nice. Well, you're gonna you're gonna surprise yourself with your work. <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, we took a week off because I was at WrestleMania, and now we're back and uh, ready to roll again with a bunch of more. Yeah, eps. we'll uh, we'll talk WrestleMania on our sister podcast whenever we record next. Yeah. Mezzanine Sleepover. Uh, you can check it out, MezzanineSleepover.com. But, uh, yeah, you know what? Actually, in the end, uh, whether it was last week or, or this week, uh, fairly apropos time to be talking about Nevermind, about uh, 
25 years ago, three days ago. Uh-huh. Kurt Cobain, was, his, his body was found in Seattle. Um, he was uh, thought to have died uh, 25 years ago and six days ago. It's uh, it's April 11th we're recording this. So we're right around that uh, that 25-year anniversary, big man. That's crazy. So long ago. These, these, these dudes would have been... Such old mengs. He would have been 52, I guess, this year then. Yes. Right? Because he was 27 yeah. when he died. So... Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a sad thing, but I, I, I sometimes wonder what kind of music they'd be making, even if they would be making music at this point, right? I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, Dave Grohl continues, but different dude, right? Yeah, very much so. Uh, I mean, we're not, I mean, but again, I mean, I, mean, I guess I would have wondered, 20, would I have 25 years ago, or, or 26 or 27 years ago, been like, there's no way Eddie Vedder still and Pearl Jam still be making albums, and yet they still are. Yeah, that's right. So maybe they would have had the longevity. I mean, everything was quality from them uh, with with their very very brief uh, yep. run yep. as a band. So who knows what would have happened? But anyways, we're we're talking about the uh, I guess the peak of this, right? No, I mean this is yeah this is this is uh, Nirvana at the height of their powers. Uh, never mind, uh, just a. Uh, should I do a quick tale of the tape? Is well, that what we want to do right now? Um, I was thinking of asking you some questions. When I was at WrestleMania, I was like, I should I should ask a couple of questions before uh, you get rolling. And I came up with a, a few. A new feature here on Albums Are Dead. <laughs> yeah, I came up with a couple of them. So are you ready for this? Yes. I, I, I You know what? Let's do it. Okay. Number one. Yes. What, what made you decide that we were going to do Nevermind with this show? Uh, I mean, um, I mean... It's probably one of the more important albums of my life. Um, I was pretty oh, only only yours, only yours. What a unique opinion that only applies to you. No, no, I didn't say that. You I asked just... me why I chose this album. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I'm the only one who liked Nirvana. Yep. I was special. <laughs> um, I mean, I was firmly ensconced in the world of hip hop, uh, for in, in especially in 1990-91, and uh, in about early '92, I started kind of getting into the. Uh, into the uh, alternative rock scene. Uh, coincidentally, when we all stopped liking rap and started liking skateboarding. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Cool kids. Um, yeah, exactly. I picked a, I definitely had a copy of Nevermind on CD probably in about April of 1992. So a little bit of a late adopter. But, you know, hey, there's, there's a few factors going for that. First of all, I mean, I was a teenager. Second, I was, um, I had been, you know, like I said, kind of more of a hip-hop fan. And third, I was in Winnipeg. Yeah. Which would explain <laughs> some of that. Um, yeah. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a teenager, I guess this was music that kind of spoke to me. And uh, it was music I could actually play on my guitar, which was pretty cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it was, you know, this was not complex rock. And uh, it was music that sounded more, kind of more real than anything I'd really committed to listening to previous. Uh, not, not just Nirvana. There was a handful of bands like this. But, uh, you know really one of my uh one of my favorite albums uh in my teenage years so we will uh you know always fun to talk about you uh, said you had more than one question i do uh my second question about nirvana have you yes. seen them <laughs> you know i never saw nirvana no uh i'll uh, i was gonna try and think of some kind of a joke or say that i saw them at uh at wherever the fuck at, at the stadium and then be like, Oh wait, that was the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to do that. I, that's more of a kid Tetris thing to do. Did you see Foo Fighters? Nirvana or Foo Fighters. Have you seen Foo What's Fighters? That? Yes. 
You saw them at the stadium in like 1999 or around there thereabouts. In 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 like the 97, 98, 99. I, I it all bleeds together now. But yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I saw. But uh, yeah, I have not. I never saw Nirvana. No. I never um, saw them either. Except for any like live TV stuff like SNL and things like that. Uh, I never saw Nirvana. I did see Foo Fighters for the first time last summer, so a long time nice. had passed before I saw them. And uh, it was one of those situations where uh, I it just you know that Dave Grohl's a big deal, but I was never I didn't really hit me until he came out on stage, and I was a little starstruck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. And you're like, "Fuck, this dude's done everything!" Like, holy shit! Especially now. Yeah. I mean, all the albums he's played on, from his time in Nirvana to his own albums and his own band to playing with all these other dudes, uh, you know, I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, he played with he he, he, was, he, was, he played with Tom Petty on, on Saturday Night Live and, and, and uh, you know, they played with Paul McCartney like a couple of years ago. It's craziness. Um, you, I, you know, I, as far as I can remember, not to speak for you, but I'll let you, uh, you know, kind of add to that. Um, not, uh, I mean, that was Nirvana, not really in your wheelhouse. Not at the time uh, when it came out. I was not listening. Like, I wasn't listening to pop music, but I wasn't listening to um, alternative rock until probably, like, right in the mid-90s is when that started. Yes. And so then I kind of okay. caught up at that point. I mean, aware of aware of Nirvana, aware of all the music, knew the Smells Like yeah. Teen Spirit video, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Just wasn't mm-hmm. my cup of tea for uh, until, again, we no. got into the middle uh, middle of the 90s. And now... You know, even at this point, I I would say more into like Pearl Jam than I am into Nirvana, <laughs> yeah. but but clearly recognize the importance of the band and know this album <laughs> and uh, yeah. kind of all the tracks not, that you need to know. Over we're not time. digging deep into a catalog this week, folks. No, we are not. Uh, so <laughs> this is the big this is the big fucking hit. I also at uh, the time I also at the time did not like when when Kurt Cobain died. And people lost their shit over it and said that this was as big a deal as other um, famous deaths in uh, yes. in music. Uh, didn't kind of believe the hype at the time. Uh, obviously, no. now looking back, it's like yes, it was a big deal. It was it was yeah. a major thing. Um, but at the time, I was like, that dude's not on par with you know Hendrix and Janis Joplin and you know etc. <laughs> But uh, now, obviously, it, with uh, more history behind us, yeah, it clearly yes. was. So, yeah. So there right. you go. Um, yeah, it would. Uh, I, I definitely remember the, uh, the all, all the all the stuff that went down. I remember exactly kind of. Um, I you know I can't say where I was. I, I remember on the fifth, like a few days ago. Now people being like, "Where were you on the day he died?" And it's like you don't remember. You didn't find out he died until like three days later. Yeah. Where were you on April fifth? How are you supposed to know? It should have been where were you on April eighth? Uh, I don't remember where I was. I I just uh, I just recall everything that kind of went on and um, you know really I you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna say if you want like an interesting kind of take on everything, um, a high recommendation would be the um, the track Vigil. Off of uh, Bruce McCullough's uh, Shame Based Man album, uh-huh. his comedy album, has quite a quite a quite a, a good take that I that I do quite enjoy. So okay, that would yeah. be my recommendation. So let's do the tail of the tape on Nevermind. Let's get into it, shall we? Do it. Uh, Nirvana's Nevermind released twenty uh, September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one on DGC Records, which was a subsidiary of Geffen. Um, 
Other notable albums, Big Man, released uh, in the U.S. on September 24th, 1991. Do you want to hear some of them? Yes, please. I, I can, I, I'd like to guess. Can I guess one of the artists? Yes. Uh, did Prince release an album? Prince did not. Oh, but no. we'll get there. Okay. Don't worry. Okay, go. Um, Hidden Plays, Face the Nation. Oof. Hearts, Rock the House Live. <laughs> uh, the Cult released Ceremony on uh, September 24th, ninety one. But I gotta say, uh, Nirvana had good company because A Tribe Called Quest put out their landmark, The Low End Theory, on the same day, as did Soundgarden with Bad Motorfinger and Big Man. Red Hot Chili Peppers' is Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Of course, you did mention that on our Blood Sugar Sex Magic show. Look in the archives at albumsaredead.com for that. Yes, I did mention that. I didn't give you the full rundown, but yes, same day. Uh, you know, I gotta say, outside of the... The first three, which was kind of a trick, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what a monster day for album releases. Oh. More so in retrospect. Yeah, but still very huge. Yes. Um, never mind. Uh, 12 tracks, one hidden track. Uh, we'll get to that. Runtimes vary on this album due to the physical copies having a 10-minute gap in the final track. Uh, something in the way, uh, which is the final track. Uh, there's a bonus track. Starts to play after 10 minutes of silence. Uh, making the track about 20 minutes long. Digital versions... Include the bonus song as its own track. So if you go on Spotify, it's going to Endless Nameless. The the hidden track um, is its own track. So you don't get the full runtime. We're going to get into this a little later because I got one hell of a story. Okay. Um, uh, the album, certified gold and platinum in the U.S. Um, it was it was certified gold and platinum in the U.S. on uh, November 27th, 91. So it was uh, on the same day. They they gave them both uh, both certifications. Um, it was then certified 10 times multi-platinum by the RIAA on March 25th, 99, with over 10 million copies sold in the U.S. Um, in Canada, Nevermind has sold over a million copies, which is pretty major. It was certified Diamond by Music Canada on March 19th, 2001. It's been certified five-time platinum in the U.K., uh, with over 1.8 million copies sold worldwide. It has um, 16.7 million certified copies sold overall though it is estimated to actually have at least 30 million in worldwide sales since 91. Two of those 30 millions were mine, as I own this CD on this. I own this on CD and vinyl. Oh, look at you, cool guy. Look, finally, I do have it on vinyl in a frame. Um, Chart-wise, uh, Nevermind entered the Billboard 200 album chart on October 12th, 1991, where it debuted, where it debuted at number 144. Uh, number one that week, Big Man. Can you take a guess? <laughs> was it Prince? It was not, but you know what? <laughs> I, I tricked you again. Uh huh. Let me let me wrap this up as let me let me let me give you another hint. Can you guess what number one and number two were? Oh, was it Guns N' Roses? It was. Give uh, me the order. Which one was number one? Use Your Illusion Two was number one. It was, and number two was Use Your Illusion One. Nice. Um. On oh, here we go. On November twenty third, nineteen ninety one, it blew by. Uh-huh. Prince of the New Power Generation's Diamond and, Diamonds and Pearls to take the number four spot. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we got Prince. You know what? There was many opportunities in this, in all of this to mention Prince. Uh, I thought uh, we'd get him in there right away. So sorry for tricking you. Um, it was already certified two times multi-platinum when it peaked at number one on the Billboard 200 on January 11th, 1992. That week it jumped from number six to grab the, spot, the top spot from... What album do you think it, it knocked out of the number one spot? Not uh, Prince. It was Michael Jackson. Yes, Dangerous. Yes. Uh, 
sent uh, Dangerous spiraling to number five. The rest of the top five that week, never mind was at number one. Garth Brooks's Rope in the Wind was number two. Oof. MC Hammer's Too Legit to Quit was number three. And you uh, 2 with Actin Baby was number four. <laughs> and uh, Michael Jackson rounded up the top <laughs> five. Could you have a more diverse top five albums? What a great top five albums, I gotta say. We got some Garth Brooks, we got some MC Hammer. We have country, we have rap, we have U2, whatever yeah. they're playing. Like, I guess mainstream, we have grunge, and we have Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, yeah. Crazy. Uh, uh, Nevermind remained at number one for no, for one week. It tapped out to Rope in the Wind uh, the next week on January 18th. It would return to the top spot on February 1st. Uh, Rope in the Wind gave it the big hoax, though, the next week. <laughs> and uh, that was it for Nevermind at number one. Two non-consecutive weeks. Okay. Um, that said, over the years, Nevermind has spent... This is my, this is fun. Um, it has spent, uh, over the years, Nevermind has spent 418 fucking weeks on the Billboard 200. In fact, for the week of April 6, 2019, last week, because <coughs> I wrote this last week, uh, so as of, and I don't know if it's as of right now, but as of last week, Nirvana's Nevermind was sitting at number 154 on the Billboard 200. That's crazy. Uh, it dropped from the previous week where it was at 138. Okay. Uh, it, uh, last week it was sandwiched by ACDC's Back in Black and the Beatles' number one compilation album. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> uh, number one last week was an album called Bad Habits by NAV, or NAV. So. Okay. Nirvana, still kicking around. 418 weeks uh, total, like kind of compiled, uh, uh, co combined over, over the last 25 years. Um... The 418 weeks and maybe 419. I'm sorry, folks. I wrote this last week. Oh. Um, ranks at all, ninth all time in weeks spent on the chart. Um, what are the other eight? Let's go through them. Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon spent a combined 942 weeks on the Billboard 200. Uh, at 567, Bob Marley and the Whaler, Whalers Legend. Uh, 557 weeks, Journey's Greatest Hits. Ugh. Uh, 528, Metallica's Black Album. 490 weeks, Johnny Mathis's Greatest Hits. What? Yeah. All right. 480 weeks, the original cast recording of My Fair Lady. Oh, Jesus. 463 weeks, the greatest hits of Guns N' Roses. And at uh, 438 weeks, Eminem's uh, Greatest Hits album called Curtain Call. So never mind. Uh, coming in right uh, after Eminem. I wouldn't so. have guessed any of those. Like Pink Floyd, no, I would have no, guessed. Really, I mean, Pink Floyd. Yes. His black album's not shocking. Yeah, I guess not, right? Pink Floyd, yeah, but some of these other ones, I'm like, really? Johnny Mathis. That's from like the fucking sixties and seventies, I guess. <laughs> um, never mind. Hit number one in Finland, France, Greece, Ireland, Sweden, and Canada. The Wiki says it reached number seven in the UK, though Billboard says it peaked at number five. So the Wiki, always fucking with us. Uh huh. Um, it actually peaked at number five on the official UK albums charts on October 15th, 2011. So I guess when their uh, deluxe uh, release came out, their 20 year anniversary. The album spawned four singles, the biggest hit, of course, being Smells Like Teen Spirit, with Pete, which peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Nevermind has uh, raked in many accolades over the years. The album was listed at number 17 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Rolling Stone also rated Nevermind as the number one best album of the 90s. Uh, time place never mind on its uh, 2006 list of the all-time 200 albums 100 albums it's showed up on countless more lists over the year over the years um, we will talk a little bit more later in our breakdown of critical reviews uh, just to wrap up the tale of the tape in 2005 
the uh, Library of Congress added, never mind, to the National Recording Registry, which, of course, collects culturally, historically, or aesthetically important sound recordings from the 20th century. And uh, like I mentioned before, in September 2011, uh, the Universal Music Enterprise released a two-CD deluxe edition and a four-CD and one-DVD super deluxe edition of the album. Blah, 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 blah. Never mind. A big fucking deal. All right. Uh, What else are you going to tell me about it? I got some background. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't have any clips, so you're just going to have to listen to to my fucking ass talk for a little bit. But... uh, I'm not going to get too deep into the uh, the uh, history of Nirvana. The quick and dirty, they were an alternative rock or grunge band from Aberdeen, Washington. They formed in 1987. They released an album called Bleach on Sub Pop Records in 1989, which uh, has sold about 40,000 copies overall. Uh, they were an up-and-coming uh, band with some buzz. They'd gone through a bunch of drummers, which is pretty classic, um, but eventually settled in... Uh, about around the time they released Bleach with a lineup that included Kurt Cobain on guitars and vocals, of course. Uh, Chris uh, Novoselic on bass and Chad Channing on drums. Can I ask you a question about Bleach? Yes. You said 40,000 copies? Yeah. At the time, right? It's sold a lot more since. I think it's sold a lot more since, yeah. But at the time of of making Nevermind, they'd sold about 40,000 copies. Yeah, because, of course... They had a buzz, because I was talking about they were an up-and-coming band with some buzz. So they had sold quite a bit of Bleach. I don't know what their number is on Bleach. I think it went gold, eventually. The Wiki is saying almost 2 million copies in the U.S. But, again, oh, that's... Oh, so, so it did... So it did go plat- double platinum. But again, that's yeah, all... Yeah, no, I meant, I meant definitely that at the time they sold 40,000 40, copies of Bleach. Yeah, it obviously went, uh, you know, people bought it after getting all the other stuff, so... Absolutely, and I, I had Bleach on cassette tape. Oh, you're such a cool dude. <laughs> I'm such a cool dude. Um, in early 90, Nirvana started planning its second album for Sub Pop. Uh, the label suggested they work with Butch Vig, who had previously produced albums for Killdozer, The Other Kids, and The Laughing Hyenas. So a bunch of jobbers. Yep. Um, yeah, here's here's a, from a 2013 Rolling Stone article titled, How Nirvana Made Nevermind. <clears throat> so uh, here, I'll, I'll read some of, a bit of, from that. The sessions were about to get underway, and neither the band nor producer Butch Vig knew what they had on their hands. Uh, the week before I flew to L.A., Kurt sent a cassette, which was done on a boombox, said Vig. It was really terrible sounding. You could barely make out anything, but I could hear the start. It smells like Teen Spirit. And I knew it was amazing. <clears throat> so the uh, the band traveled out to Vig's smart studio studios in Madison, Wisconsin, and recorded from uh, April 2nd to 6th, uh, 1990. Uh, most of the basic song arrangements were completed by that time, but Cobain was still working on lyrics, and the bu- the band was unsure of which songs to actually record. Ultimately, they recorded eight uh, songs, uh, a song called Imodium, which uh, later was renamed Breed, which you heard off the top of the show, a song called Dive, uh, which was uh, later became a B-side, and is fucking awesome, uh, In Bloom, Pay to Play, which was renamed Stay Away, uh, and given new lyrics, a song called Sappy, We Got Lithium, Here She Comes Now, and uh, the, and Polly. So at that point, the band parted ways uh, with their drummer, Chad Channing. I guess, essentially, Cobain and Novoselic weren't terribly impressed with his skills. And he was unhappy about not being allowed to write songs. Um, <laughs> Channing, of course, would really end up doing nothing. So I don't know how good of a songwriter he really ended up being. Um, in September 1990, Buzz Osborne of the Melvins introduced the band to Dave Grohl, who was looking for a new band following the sudden breakup of his Washington, D.C. hardcore punk band, Scream. Uh... So he joins the fold and is a fucking, just a 
just can can really can really can really hit those skins, big man. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, also disenchanted with Sub Pop for a variety of reasons, the band started shopping their big demo that they had recorded and were looking for a new record deal. They looked to major labels because um, no independent label could buy them out of a Sub Pop contract. Uh, they signed with DGC in 1990 and stuck with Vig to begin recording the second album. Uh, in 2016, in enter- with Entertainment Weekly, Dave Grohl had this to say. Uh, we got the call saying Butch was ready to start in March, but then we kept getting pushed back and we were like, who the fuck is he recording? He said the Smashing Pumpkins. None of us had heard of them yet. And we were like, that's the dumbest fucking band name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Butch Vig recorded uh, the Smashing Pumpkins uh, Gish prior to recording uh, Nevermind. Gish is awesome. Um, with a total budget of $65,000. Nirvana recorded Nevermind at Sound City Studios in Van Nuys, California in May and June 1991. The only recording that they carried over from their original demo sessions in Wisconsin was the song Polly. Uh, when you're listening to that, they, they actually kept the original Cymbal Crashes performed by Chad Channing. So he gets a credit on the album. Um, John Widerhorn on the Music Aficionado website had this to say. After three days of pre-production, Nirvana entered Sound City Studios to start tracking. Vig showed up at around noon every day to set up, and the band would come in at one or two, often hung over from the night before. Regardless of how much they drank at night, he recalls they were professional and precise in the studio, and their playing brimmed with enthusiasm. The band had 16 days to record Nevermind. So if you go back to our first episode where we talk about, let's say, Def Leppard's hysteria. Yes. With its years of recording, uh, Nevermind, it's 16 days. Yes. Um since they had already arranged many of the songs during the Smart Studio sessions, there wasn't a lot of material for him to go over with them. Most of the recordings were done in a few takes, including Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, for Come As You Are, the band experimented with pedals and tuning to get a sound that was both sturdy and ethereal. Um, surprisingly, the greatest challenge in the studio was Lithium, with, which Nirvana had already recorded with Channing in the previous sessions. But while Channing got the timing down with minimal, minimal effort, Grohl had some problems maintaining a steady tempo. Um, it was the only song that for some explicable reason kept speeding up really fast, Vig says. We tried a bunch of takes, and finally I said, hey, Dave, have you ever played with a click track? He told me later it just broke his heart. He thought, oh, I'm not good enough. They're going to make me play to a click or bring in a drum machine or a session drummer. Oh. So Dave Grohl getting all paranoid. Imagine a drum machine. No, I keep time. Uh-huh. Drum machine. Be like me and the Cajun man in his basement. Uh-huh. With a drum machine. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I'm going to cut out some of this. I don't want to... Basically, they finished their 13 days in Studio A of Sound Studio. They moved to Studio B to record overdubs and background vocals, and they tracked uh, something in the way. Um, when they, when Nirvana finished recording, never mind, Vig and the band went to Devonshire Sound Studios in North Hollywood to mix the record. The process was a disaster since COVID kept trying to turn all the treble down to make it sound heavier. Uh-huh. In the end, it just sounded flat and unbalanced, so Vic... 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 <laughs> it's all Mike and Vic. Katie Vic. There's my wrestling reference. All right. Uh, Vig abandoned the mix and handed over to Andy Wallace, who worked on the sounds of his own studio. Uh, with Nevermind completed, they went back to Seattle, and Vig, Vig returned to Madison, Wisconsin. He was proud of the work he had done, and uh, blah blah blah. So, when you talk about Nevermind, they've they've finished it. Let's talk about the cover. Oh yes, please. From the Wickeye. Because let's see how if they can get this right. Um. Oh, my fucking, my fucking uh, recording device fell. Hang on. <laughs> it's so, so my phone. Um, from the Wickeye, the Nevermind album cover shows a naked baby boy alone underwater with a U.S. dollar bill on a fish hook just out of his reach. According to Cobain, he conceived the idea while watching a television program on water births with Dave Grohl. 
he uh, Cobain mentioned it to Geffen's art director, Robert Fisher. Fisher found some stock footage of underwater births, but they were too graphic for the recording company. Uh-huh. So much blood. Uh-huh. Furthermore, the Stockhouse footage, the Stockhouse that controlled the photo of a swimming baby that they uh, that controlled it wanted $7,500 a year for its use. So instead, Fisher sent a photographer to a pool for babies to take pictures. Five shots resulted, and the band settled on the image of a four-month-old infant named Spencer Eldon. And uh, there was concern, though, because uh, the, the Spencer Eldon's penis was visible in the image. His little wiener. <laughs> yep. Uh, Geffen prepared an alternative cover without the penis, as they were afraid it would offend people but relented when Cobain made it clear that the only compromise he would accept was a sticker covering the penis that would say, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile. (laughs) Best sticker ever. Yes. They ended up putting it out as is. The back cover of the album features a photograph of a rubber monkey in front of a collage created by Cobain, and uh, it's got uh, photos of raw beef and pictures of diseased vaginas (laughs) from Cobain's collection of medical photos. Uh Uh-huh. he noted, if you look really close, there's a picture of Kiss in the back standing on a slab of beef. And uh, the album's liner notes have no complete song lyrics. Instead, it contains random song lyrics and unused lyrical fragments that Cobain arranged into a poem. Uh, the album uh, was released. The lead single was, was Smells Like Teen Spirit. That went to... Um, it was released on September 10th, 1991. And get this, big man. It had a music video. Oh, my goodness. You're going to talk about it now. In- before we get into no, track no, by track. We'll, we'll talk about it after, but it did have a music video that did it? in heavy rotation on TV. Oh my goodness. Music videos, yes. eh? Interesting music concept. Music videos definitely helped with the sales of this album. The album was released, as it stated off the top of the cast, on September 24th, 1991, and the rest is history. And uh, that's the background on Nevermind. Nice. Not, not the deepest of dives, but uh, we like to get to the tracks. Oh, So yes, why don't please. we do that right now? All right, let's do it. Here we go. Track one. What is this? <laughs> Self high five. Self high five. Ah, smells like Teen Spirit. A uh, little known song. Uh, the first single released on, as I said, on September tenth, nineteen ninety one. This peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot one hundred on January eleventh, ninety two. The same week, the album hit number one on on the Billboard uh, two hundred. Uh, let's let's go through what was uh, this peaked at number six. What was number five that week? Too legit to quit. Oh my and gosh! Number one was some black or white action. Oh, all right. Jackson. I would spend a total of six weeks on the charts. It would also reach number seven on the mainstream rock chart. Number one on the alternative song charts. And get this, big man, number fourteen on the dance club songs chart. On the dance club. Yeah, not a remix, just the actual song. Just doing some... Was, was number 14 on the Dance Club songs. Doing some rap dancing at the clubs yep. for this. All right. Uh, the single certified platinum by the RAA on April 1st, 1992, 1992. Hit number seven also in the UK and number nine in Canada. And uh, this song, Smells Like Teen Spirit, probably the uh, biggest uh, accolade that it can receive, featured in the very first Skateboard Maximo video. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> The B-sides were Drain You, a track called Even His Youth, and a song called Aneurysm. Uh, Aneurysm would later appear on a B-sides compilation. Even His His Youth is um, just a uh, uh, single B-side. This song was inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of songs that shaped rock and roll in 1997. 
Um, in 2000, VH1 rated the song at number 41 on its list of 100 greatest rock songs. MTV and Rolling Stone ranked it third on their joint list of 100 greatest pop songs. And uh, in 2015, Rolling Stone unshockingly ranked Smells Like Dean Spirit at number one on their ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna dig from this uh, pretty pretty much for every track here. Okay. Um, here's what Christopher Weingarten had to say about Smells of Teen Spirit. <clears throat> Almost immediately, Smells of Teen Spirit changed the firmament of American culture like no song since Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. Legends point to how it was nothing like the Weedle of Warrant or the macro pop of Michael Jackson, but its sloppy, intensely human contortions were just as far removed from REM and U2. Uh, Dave Grohl's drums were nuclear and refused to keep a steady tempo. Chris Novoselic's bass was a zombie plod that would have felt cozy on a flipper record. Kurt Cobain's lyrics were incomprehensible and his guitar solo almost mocked the song it was attached to with a strange simplicity. Whatever you interpreted punk's promises to be, at that point, 27 years since Velvet Underground, they were all realized art could be unpolished, violence and noise could be pop, weirdos could be heroes, and the filthy, filthy lucre would roll right in. I mean... Okay, I mean, maybe you've got this, but let's let's talk about what's happening at the time, right? Yes, and, and, and so we're we're both early teens when this uh, yes. song comes out, uh, mm -hmm. and if you're watching music videos on television, it's pretty much at this point moved to all pop and rap, right? If you're if you're yes. doing anything rock related, yeah, it's essentially mm -hmm. heavy metal. Um, and yeah. not even heavy metal. It's kind of like that glam heavy metal and maybe a little glam bit of... Glam metal on its last gasp. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last um, gasp of glam metal and, and Metallica. Yeah, we're at a little bit of Metallica at this point. But we're not... You're not hearing a lot of rock and roll <laughs> no. music at the time. And then all of a sudden, no. this thing comes onto the scene. And just like that, we're back into uh, rock music, which, of course, they call grunge. But, I mean, it's rock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... Yeah, they, they, this is this is pretty much you know like three chord power rock power power pop punk kind of thing. It's 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 very much rock, absolutely. Uh, the grunge grunge was more of an aesthetic. I mean, there were some there were some bands I could you know I could if I if I did a little bit of uh, looking back into some of my library, you could find some grunge rock clones that are definitely a grunge rock sound, super boring and 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 plodding and not melodic at all. This is you know um, grunge as an aesthetic really so yeah this this was a big deal big fucking deal uh, um the music video as we mentioned won best uh won nirvana the best new artist and best alternative group awards at the 92 mtv video music awards and i do have a fun fact that you uh that you already spoiled oh i'm sorry but you didn't spoil it because i can expand on it in 1996 world championship wrestling uh -huh. debuted a theme song for a wrestler known as Diamond Dallas Page. Yes. The song named Self High Five uh -huh. resembled Smells Like Teen Spirit very closely. Dave Grohl took notice and called it a ripoff, saying, WCW owes us money. <laughs> the uh -huh. music was subsequently altered to sound different enough from Teen Spirit. No lawsuits or further action took place, but on the WWE Network, that version was dubbed over with an alternative version known as Diamonds. Of course. So you won't hear Self High Five on the WD Network. You hear that other one. <laughs> you know the one I'm talking Such about. Such a goofy song. Um, listen, we, you know, I, we've been talking for a while, but I can't, I can't not go to the well. Before you go to the well, can I ask you one question? Unless you're taking this yes. from the well already. What is yes. Teen Spirit? What does that sentence mean? Well, Smells Like Teen Spirit is, um, 
from the many different books that have been written on on you know not only Nevermind but about the band or about Kurt Cobain. Uh, he had a uh, his girlfriend, I believe, um, at the time um, had or it was it was a friend of his girlfriend's or a friend of 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 the band or of him had written uh, had spray painted or written on a wall Kurt smells like Teen Spirit because his girlfriend wore a Teen Spirit deodorant. Yes. So he smelled like deodorant. And I remember because Teen Spirit at the time, this deodorant was advertising everywhere. And when, oh, yeah. this, and when this song came out and it was said smells like Teen Spirit, I thought, that's so fucking stupid. I know. <laughs> it's actually kind of like, it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. Because it kind of is a little like, it seems strange that, a, that, that Kurt Cobain writes a song and his biggest hit song is, you know, um, basically inspired by the name of a deodorant yes for teenagers so yes that is that is true um they will expand on it as i go to the well yes please go to the uh, well songmeanings.com yes our favorite source uh for this track there are to date 1373 comments it's crazy and they are almost all maddening <laughs> uh, here's a sound uh-huh. <clears throat> user nirvana chick says <laughs> I think this song is about teenage rebellion against authority. I mean, look at the video with the cheerleaders and the anarchy symbol. Anarchy rules, smiley face. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank user, you. Sar- user Sergeant Pepper LHCB said, the song by Weird Al Yankovic is called Smells Like Nirvana. I thought the video was pretty funny myself. I mean, so, thank you. It wasn't a bad song. Let's be honest. And no, I think, it wasn't. And I think that they, uh, that uh, Nirvana were actually very happy that that they uh, that Weird Al did that. Well, Weird Al started. You know, he's pretty much most of his songs. He asked permission. Yes. And he will. He will. He will get permission from the from the artists. And Nirvana was, if I remember this correctly, um, said sure, but I I think they asked not to have it be about food. Yes, that is right. Just fantastic. <laughs> Uh, the king of song meetings uh, entries, though, on um, Smells of Dean Spirit has to be user Huh Supo Magosh. Uh-huh. Okay? Here's what he has to say. I've decided that this whole song is about sex. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he references another user and says, You were saying you didn't know what he meant with a mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. I have determined this is an impl- I have determined it is an implicit sex reference. <laughs> I looked up all four words in the dictionary uh-huh. and got this. Mulatto, a person of mixed race and of mixed white and black ancestry. Albino, a human being exhibiting deficient pigmentation. Libido, sex drive. Mosquito, a small biting winged insect. The females have penetrating and mouth sucking parts. This line is almost likely a reference to oral. <laughs> it's fun to lose and to pretend. Probably refers to his virginity. Oh no, I know a dirty word is probably fuck. So, <laughs> some right. absolute classic uh, um, thoughts from songmeanings.com. Thank that you. That smells like Teen Spirit. All right. Well done. That's, a, that's, that's a good run through of a classic tune. So, well done. Uh, thank you very much. Here we go. We got in bloom. Yes. Um, and I, it's not, you know what? I don't have quite as much as I did for Smells of Teen Spirit, which is good because we, we don't want to we don't want to go two hours tonight. Folks. Okay. 
Um, in Bloom, though, the fourth single off, off Nevermind, released uh, as a single on November 30th, 1992. The single was only released commercially in the UK, though promotional copies were released in the US. Uh, it reached number five on the US mainstream rock chart on January 30th, 1993. Do you want to know what it came in behind? Uh, was it Hammer? No, it was not, but at number four that week. Yes. Theme by Peter Gabriel. Oh, nice. The Damn Yankees' is Mr. Please was at number three. Uh-huh. Archangels' is Too Many Ways to Fall at number two. At number one, my friend, Stand Up, uh, open parenthesis, Kick Love into Motion, close parenthesis, by Def Leppard. Nice. Oh, God. So from... Even into 93, you know that? Outside of Peter Gabriel's steam, a whole bunch of garbage. From Adrenalize, Jesus. All right. Jesus. Yuck. In Bloom also reached number 28 in the UK. The B-sides to this single, live versions of Polly and, and Sliver, which would uh, and a song called Sliver, which would later be included on the Incesticide compilation album that came out in uh, late 92. In uh, 2015, Rolling Stone ranked In Bloom at number two on the ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. Uh, writer Maura Johnston had this to say, that this pee to the type of mindless fan who knows not what it means appeared on the album that would eventually catapult Nirvana into the white-hot center of alternative rock is an almost too delicious irony, especially since, as Nova Selich told Rolling Stone's David Fricke in 2001, it sounded like a Bad Brains song in its earliest incarnations. But uh, Cobain's workshopping of the track led to its triumphant summing up of what made Nirvana so captivating, morose and surrealistic lyrics, married to power chords, and gleefully turned out harmonies. All right, that morose so, motherfucker. <laughs> that morose, look at that morose motherfucker over there. Um, in Bloom, I mean, I fucking love it. Uh, let's let's hear what they have to say over at Song Meetings. There are uh, 288 comments. Uh-huh. There are a lot of opinions. A lot of opinions. Uh, this I'm going to go with one. This is my favorite. Uh-huh. User Dope Monkey One <laughs> said, "You are all idiots, <laughs> and you call yourselves Nirvana's fans. If you would have read Heavier Than Heaven by Charles R. Cross, you would know the meaning behind this song. It was about his stepfather that was abusive to him and his mother." One night she came home and the husband was being abusive again. So there was a little stream behind their house. So she went and threw all the guns and threw them in the stream. The whole time she was screaming, I have to get rid of the guns, I'm gonna kill him. The stepfather, like I said, was really abusive and would do anything for money. Hence, sell your kids for food, weather changes moods, and all that kind of just stuck with Kurt through his whole life. I hope to help help your stupid little Nirvana wannabe minds later. (laughs) All right. They're Nirvana snob. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, there'll be more of these coming up. Oh, I've, so that's I've... in bloom, folks. Okay. Tasty little track. Let's go to track three. That fucking chorus. Pedal. Come as you are. Yes. Uh, the second single. Well, here's the vocals here. There you go. Um, Second single released on March 2nd, 1992. It reached number 32 on the Billboard Hot 100 on May 2nd, 92. Uh, Big Man, do you want to know what the number one was that week? Yes, please. A little song called Jump by Criss Cross. (laughs) Yeah, someone tried to run, but they can't run like this. Oh, oh. Um, Overall, it spent 18 weeks in the top, in the Hot 100. Come As You Are reached number three on the Main Street Rock and Alternative Song Charts. It also hit number nine in the UK and number 27 here in Canada. 
the B-sides were live versions of Drain You and the Bleach Track School, along with a single track version of Endless Nameless, which is the bonus track on the CD. Um, the song definitely sounds similar to songs like 80s by Killing Joke. Yep. Uh, and Life Goes On by The Damned. Um, uh, Gordy Walker, or Jordy Walker, Killing Joke's guitar player, said that the band was very pissed off about that, but it's obvious to everyone. We had two separate musicologists reports saying it was. Our publisher sent their publisher a letter saying it was, and they went, boo, never heard of you. But the hilarious <laughs> thing, about, the hysterical thing about Nirvana saying they never heard of us was that they'd already sent us a Christmas card. So, Killing Joke, very mad about that. Though, it's it's so much like those two songs. I mean, I'm looking, shit. the Killing Joke song is uh, Love Like Blood? Is that what? Oh, 80s, uh, right? 80s. Here. 80s. I mean, come on. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. All right. Um, Rolling Stone rank comes you are at number 19 on their uh, ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. Uh, writer Julianne Escobedo Dash Shepherd said, uh, Though the line, I swear that I don't have a gun, is still held up as a moment of haunting prescience it takes away from the initial intent of nirvana's second single a foreboding moment of artistry that summed up 90s social anxiety maybe even better than skeleton spirit uh the lyrics are about people and what they're expected to act like according to kurt cobain it also puts the group's old punk leanings on display with a killing joke-esque riff and banshee style guitar tone transforming disaffected enemy into unlikely pop hit um uh, she goes on i'm not going to read for these full write-ups um over on song meanings come as you are there are 554 comments <laughs> and there are so many ridiculous ones including i got a few gems for you do you oh, want to hear them? please okay I, I believe i have three um user tim dog with two g's said kurt may have wrote this song from jesus's point of view <laughs> jesus wants us all to come to him so that he may influence and change our lives for the better don't forget kurt had a christian friend who he lived with when he was homeless as a youth <laughs> Yeah, that's when I think Nirvana, I think lots of Jesus songs. Uh, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, user Logic LRD said, So many fucking self absorbed fucks. God, I had to read through 14 pages filled with completely irrelevant banter to find out if anyone had a similar ideas to me about this song. Honestly, the song is about song meanings, <laughs> and it's completely off topic to post your peer and opinions about what Kurt Cobain thought or how Kurt Cobain died. So. There, there's drama happening. Uh-huh, yes. My favorite, though. <clears throat> User D4MVP said in 2006, okay? Uh-huh. Why does anything Nirvana turn into a big fiasco? Kurt wasn't God. He's another talented man who left us too soon. For all I'm concerned, the most talented musician of all time is still alive. And his name is Prince. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who say he didn't make good music anymore, remember, if Kurt was still alive, he'd be making lame music now, too. Wow. So another Prince reference. Yes. <laughs> I don't and know how you... Come as you are, folks. I don't know how you go from, like... Like, why would you mention Prince in a Nirvana thread? Like, how does that happen? I don't know. All right. I don't know. Well, listen, Prince was awesome. So, I don't... I don't, uh, I don't fault the guy. He's, he's, he's not, like, you know... He's pretty correct. Prince is pretty awesome, so... Okay. Um, track four. We heard it off the top. Let's hear it again. Thank you. 
Do it. Since we heard breathe. Uh, a great sing-along song. I don't mind, I don't mind. <laughs> Just say it! Just say it! Just say it! Um, the song was titled Emodium on the original batch of uh, Butch Big Demos, uh, which of course... Now, what is Emodium? Is that to stop diarrhea? Yes. Or to stop constipation? I think nope, it's diarrhea. it's to stop diarrhea. I, I mean, I don't know how I know that, but... <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, you don't know how you know it. Yep. Come on. Come on, rap. <laughs> Um, the original version of this song can be found on the 2011 deluxe release of the album. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked Breed at number four on their ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. Uh, the writer Julianne Escobedo Dash Shepard said this, In the grunge era, this is what passed for game. Non-committal gestures toward, towards playing house as a prelude to just straight up doing it. There's so much late night peacocking on Breed. The pelvic thrust of a guitar intro, it's mimicking by the bass, the aggressive tom rolls. You can practically smell the cigarette smoke in the bar where the slightly disheveled, greasy haired couple is meeting before they go home together. It's one of the most alive songs on Nevermind, purely for its deep lust, the band giving into their most animalistic impulses, channeled on distortion in free fall. Oh, so sexy, uh, um, <laughs> this song. So, yeah, well, breathe, very, very sexy song. Um, over at Song Meetings, there's 106 comments, including uh, this one. Laurel01 said, I don't know or care what the song means because I'll always love it. Whenever I read the lyrics, I'll always get a kick of the part where he says, I don't even care. We can have all three. If this song is about sex, I wonder what he means by all three. LOL. Something to ponder. <laughs> yes, I will wonder about that. Uh, user underscore out underscore again said, best riff ever. That is all I have to say. Oh, all right. Thank you. And uh, my favorite comment uh, from user... Glitteroid. <laughs> You're going to love this one. This song is about how much fun it is to play baseball on the PlayStation. <laughs> okay. That's... That guy, Glitteroid, I tip my hat to you. The best part is PlayStation wasn't even around when he song was made. <laughs> All right. Oh, so good. Um, track five. Well, he's singing. That's my key. Yep. Um, Lithium, the third single released on July 13th, 1992. It reached number 64 on the Billboard Hot 100 <coughs> August 15th, uh, 1992. Big Man, do you want to know number one that week? <laughs> I do want to know. Please tell it. Was it by uh, Hammer? <laughs> it was not. It was End of the Road by Boys Two Men. Oh, damn. That song was a huge one, too. It really was. Uh, overall, uh, Lithium spent nine total weeks in the Hot 100. It also hit number 16 on Mainstream Rock Chart, number 25 on Alternative Songs Chart. It hit number 83 in Canada and number uh, 11 in the UK. Canada, chintzy when it comes to uh, bumping the uh, Nevermind back in uh, 91, 92. Yeah, even though we sold a million copies in this country, giving no love to the singles. No, no, no. Um, Rolling Stone ranked Lithium at number 7 on the ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. A writer, Corey Grow said, At its heart, Lithium is a curled-lipped condemnation of blind faith and the born-again Christians Cobain knew in his youth. According to biographer Everett True, Cobain said the character in the song decided to find God before he kills himself. The frontman went on to say, it's hard for me to understand the need for a vice like that, but I can appreciate it. People need vices. Um, with its soft and loud sections, the song exemplifies the bipolar pop that made Nirvana great. Or made Nevermind great, sorry. Um, 
Over on Song Meanings, there are 352 comments to choose from. Most are about the drug lithium uh -huh. and various mental illnesses. However, there are some beauty comments. <laughs> here's, here's a sampling. Um, user Tony113002 said, Kurt meaning was that always we are going to face different and weird feelings, but we must avoid them. <laughs> Just random, How do you type? Random words. <laughs> All right. <laughs> User Thunderbolt said, I'm convinced this song is about joining a religious cult. So he's got, he's not terribly far off on part of the meaning. Okay. And the, my personal champion, User Beyond Imagination said, <clears throat> I'm so horny, that's okay, my will is good. My friend reckons it's my willy's good. Guess that make kind of makes sense. <laughs> so instead of my will is good. Yeah, your will is good. Wow. You know, his fucking dong. Okay. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Let's move on to track six. This song, obviously, about a parrot. <laughs> We're gonna get to that. Um, <laughs> Did I spoil something? Um, well, no, just just some comments from song meetings. Okay. Um, the song uh, "Polly" recorded by Butch Vig at Smart Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, in April 1990. This acoustic version featuring Chad Chad Channing on drums later appeared on Nevermind. So it was the only recording from the original session, demo session, to appear on the album, the rest uh, of which was recorded in uh, May 91. Rolling Stone ranked Polly at number 29 on the rankings of 102 Nirvana songs. Julianne Escobedo Dash Shepherd said, one of Nirvana's first forays into the more sinister side of social commentary, Polly was based on the real life case in which rapist Gerald Friend tortured and sexually assaulted a 14 year old girl who then outsmarted and escaped him by convincing him that she enjoyed it. Uh, it's written from the eerie perspective of the disturbed perpetrator. Uh, both versions convey the song's ominous nature, whether soft and sludgy on Nevermind, or in a new wave version of the song uh, off Incesticide, which was frenetic and unforgiving. Though Polly is disturbing, it reflects Cobain's dual fascination with the macabre and extremely sensitive nature, as well as his interest in feminism under the tutelage of his ex-girlfriend, who was uh, Bikini Kills, Toby Vale. Um, though it's not certainly a protest song, it definitely delves into the mind of a sicko and um, is an example of the thoughtful depths Cobain was willing to plumb. I love these write-ups, just so fucking wordy. Uh -huh. uh, Polly, of course, yeah, uh, a really uh, disturbing story, though so easy to play on guitar and <laughs> so strum along and annoy people. That makes it worth it. <laughs> yeah, it makes it Jesus. worth it. The rapist, of course, his name, Gerald Friend. Terrible. Ugh. Um... Over on song meanings, there are 261 comments. Most nailed the straightforward meaning of the song, okay? So good for them. Uh, however, user Pumpkinhead said, <laughs> I could have sworn that the title referred to PJ Harvey. <laughs> who, by the way, their first name is, their first name is Polly. Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> then uh, user Tom.Burns cracked wise and guffawed, I always thought it was about a parrot. <laughs> yes. He's fucking just showing off and cracking wise on song meetings. Well, Polly wants a cracker, apparently. Uh, let's go to track seven. Come on, people now. Smile on your brother. Everybody gets <laughs> best, best intro ever. We'll talk about it. Woo! Ow! 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 
Why? Territorial pissing this stuff, buddy. Uh, this one in particular uh, brings me back. Uh, I remember seeing them uh, perform on Saturday Night Live in, uh, on January 11th, 92. They had just hit number one that same day. And uh, I remember seeing this and being like, what the fuck am I watching? Because <laughs> I didn't have like much music at the time, so I didn't really see the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. So this was really the first time. I remember my parents used to go out uh, on, on very, sometimes on Saturday night. And so when my uh, sister was in bed, I would I get to watch Saturday Night Live. And uh, it was always, you know, I, I always wanted to see two the driving cat. That was like the biggest thing for me. I mean, I was always out with friends. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, so I didn't have time. You're so cool. It's all, it's all DTAG. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Downtown. <laughs> yep. So cool. Um, D-tag. So yeah, that's what I... Uh, Chet Powers gets a songwriting credit here. Uh, the songwriter, Chet Powers. Chet Powers. Because um, Chris Novoselic uh, includes the uh, the get-together lyrics at the beginning of the song, so he gets royalties from the, uh, the, the, the popular Yardbirds track. Um, Rolling Stone ranked this at number 19 on the ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. But 19? Or is that Polly? No, Polly was 29. Uh, 19. Uh, Corey Groh, the writer, says this. To achieve the otherworldly jangle crunch from the guitars on Nevermind's punkiest track, Cobain defied producer Butch Vig's protest and plugged his instrument right into the mixing desk. He recorded the song in one take. The guitar crackle sets a prickly tone for his lyrics and paranoia, and it's uh, uh, which is a hardly poetic jab at the patriarchy. It also contrasts the peachy keen opening verses that Chris Novoselic swiped from the hippy-dippy Youngbloods tune get together. Um, it wasn't really that thought into. Nova Selich said of the contribution, I like that Youngblood song. So um, regarding the first verse, when I was an alien, Cobain had said that growing up, I wanted to be in, from another planet really bad. So we have 121 comments on song meanings. A uh, couple of highlights. <laughs> User Kurt Cobain, 2727. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, has to has this to say uh, all in caps. This song is attacking all the macho guys like Jocks. He hated them. He has other songs attacking these macho ones as well. So get it right. And there's like twelve uh, exclamation marks and a one because they 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 took their finger off off the uh, shift key. <laughs> I love how he's like that's what he said when he wrote this. But isn't it you, Kurt Cobain, twenty seven twenty seven? Kurt Cobain, twenty seven twenty seven. Um, user uh, Kuftish Sips 13 said, also all in caps, bite me, go to hell. Anyone who says Smells Like Teen Spirit and Heart Shaped Box are the best Nirvana songs is a major fucking poser. Uh, about 30 exclamation marks and it looks like five ones. So he really, really got off that shift key early. Uh-huh. And finally, my favorite comment from a user called The Blandest, replying to someone else, Devil Dog, shut the hell up, you whiny piece of trash. <laughs> I love the trash. drama. <laughs> you trash. The, the drama on the song meetings message boards of Nirvana. <laughs> Devil Dog, shut the hell up, you piece of trash. <laughs> you trash. You whiny piece. That's so great. And that's Territorial Pissings. We're going to go to track eight. One baby two. Uh, he's singing. There he is. Um, 
brain you, and this, you, as, as you know, well know, Slipman, a personal rock band favorite of mine. Yes. Always, always picking the Nirvana along with the Allison James. And the <coughs> fucking Sex on Fire. <laughs> yes, and, and Elvis Costello. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, this song, though, also a favorite of KT, who enjoys the singing the you part of the bridge, where it's all you, <laughs> you. He all sings it right in your face, KT style. Um, Rolling Stone ranked Drain You at number nine on the ranking of 100 Junior Nirvana songs. Douglas Volk said, Kurt suggested that Drain You was about two brat kids who were in the same hospital bed. It's a song full of medical references and in some way the most doctored sounding thing on Nevermind. According to producer Butch Vig, it's got more guitar tracks than any other song on the record. And after the second verse, in a place you'd expect a guitar solo, Cobain overdubbed a wide selection of noisemakers, squeaky toys, and an aerosol can, among others. It became an abstract part for 17 bars. Vic noted, Vig, Vic, Vig noted, we just left it in all in the mix. And uh, Dave Grohl has called it the Bohemian Rhapsody. Never mind. Oh, hey. Um, there, yeah. There are 197 comments on song meanings. Let's let's do uh let's let's take three of them, shall we? Mm-hmm. Um, user Anna Kastakis said, "This song is about Kurt Cobain's first kiss." <laughs> Notice the reference to the poison apple. Think back to your fairy tale days. So, what? <laughs> it's about his first smooch, I guess. So cryptic. So cryptic. User uh, Shaza said, "I have never done drugs. Regardless, I love this song." Perhaps it's just the sound of it. I mean, I've never, I've never done drugs either. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, and here's my favorite one. Uh, user Fuck You All said, <laughs> This song is about being in love, and anyone who thinks about drugs is a fuck dumbass. <laughs> well, of course, that's what Fuck You All would say to everybody. <laughs> Makes sense. Not a fucking dumbass. A fuck dumbass. <laughs> Best. Ah, that's Drain You. Let's move on to track nine. Oh, it's lovely. That's a fun uh, Lounge app. Featured in Skateboard Maximo 2, Skateboard Extremist. <laughs> Uh, Rolling Stone ranked Lounge Act at number 41 on their ranking of 100 Junior Bond songs. Uh, writer Daniel, Daniel Kretz had this to say, uh, Drain You was the literal birth of a relationship and Lounge Act is its slow erosion and breakup. Um, while the meaning behind Cobain's songs were often opaque, uh, there was no secret that Lounge Act, with its themes of jealousy and security and overbearingness, was about Kurt's ex-girlfriend, Toby Vale. According to Butch Vig, Lounge Act earned its title because it sounds like a lounge song thanks to its jocular, jocular riffs and Cobain's more polished than usual delivery. But early lyrics for the song in Cobain's journals also featured a line about lounging in the sea. Um, there are 142 comments on song meanings. Some of the highlights, though I believe this is one of the songs where there's a giant fight about a story that Cobain wrote about in his journals about um, almost having sex with a, uh, a mentally delayed girl. Uh, it, it goes off the rails. It's an absolute shit show. Um, I'm not going to focus on that. I will focus on user Rykoff1019 saying, the song is in reference to Kobe's friend heroin and how it controlled much of his life. 
his friend, Haraway. His friend. <laughs> his pal. Um, user Endo108 said, Every single Nirvana song should have been a hit in my eyes, but this song is truly amazing. My fave. So, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Endo. I love it. You know what? The song Meanings Users really came out to fucking play in this episode. I mean, this is by far the most comments we've seen on Song Meanings for any album so far, right? Oh, it was so easy. Actually, it was harder to find... You know what? Actually, I thought it was harder to find the best ones because there was just so much good... I just go to the lowest, rated ones ones first. (laughs) Makes it easy. Yes. I actually never have tried that. I should do that. Um, Track 10. Yes. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, the Slip Man, a uh, a drummer. <clears throat> uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, you never lose it, do you? Um, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stay away. The early demo version was known as Pay to Play. Uh, this version appears on the 1994 VGC Rarities Volume One compilation, which I thought I was so cool for having. You were and the also coolest. Had a song by Weezer called Jamie, which I thought was the best thing ever. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. I, well, I dated a girl named Jamie. If, yeah, and if they'd only written a song called Megamix, they would have had your name in the song. <laughs> yes, folks, I dated a girl with the same name as me in 1996. It was terrible. <laughs> the best. Um, Rolling Stone ranked Stay Away at number 34 on their ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. Uh, Julianne Escobedo Dash Shepard is back. She says... Somewhere in the music, in the muck of rock history, nostalgia, and band psychoanalysis, Nirvana's punk roots, roots often get buried, but on pay to play, renamed Stay Away for the Nevermind inclusion. Their pure fidgety energy is out front in the riot to it. Beyond its mosh factor. Hey, we got a mosh fucking uh, reference. Of course. Uh, Cobain's screaming, but not mosh from the headbangs. No. The, the moshing. In the mosh pit. <laughs> Uh, Cobain's screaming out a very specific code of ethics endemic to punk. I'd rather be dead than cool and fashion shit's fashion style. Too bad for them that they became both, but still a perfect sound to slam your bedroom door to. Okay, then. There were only 47 comments on uh, song meanings. Not a very popular song. Uh, yeah, including this one. And this comment's actually fairly good. User Maltese said, This is basically Nevermind's Milk It. A great song, but nobody listens to it, which I thought is pretty good because uh, Milk It is off of In Utero and uh, it often gets overlooked, but it's a solid uh, little burst of uh, pop punk goodness. And uh, I enjoy Stay Away. Uh, let's move on to track 11. We're, we're getting down to the nitty gritty, just like Grilla Monsoon. <laughs> 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 I got a little bit of a lag here, so let me know if I'm cutting out. Oh no, you're all over it. I'm all right. Yep. Okay. Uh, on, on a plane. We good? Yes. Okay. On a plane. Uh, Rolling Stone ranked on a plane number twenty-eight on the ranking of 100 Nirvana songs. I agree. It's it kind of sneaks up on you. It's 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 kind of like out of nowhere. There's like this like really really good song like buried at the end of this album. 
the Mike Powell, the writer, said, for a band defined by angst and immortalized by suicide, Nirvana could be uncommonly funny. Start this off without any words. Cobain offers by way of an opening. Land on one of his best refrains. Love myself better than you. I know it's wrong, but what can I do? The riff is chipper. The melody delivered in the sing-song of a nursery rhyme. In a lot of ways, it parodies the person Cobain became. A junkie too lost in his own pain to realize he has control over it. The voice of a generation wondering what the hell he's trying to say. Apparently, he wrote the lyrics five minutes before recording. Oh, nice. Um, So, yeah, we got, yeah, we got 127 comments. On song meanings, including, I got a couple here for you. User uh, Kitty K One T said, and the and the I in Kitty is a nine. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I heard he had just put on a bunch of random lines in the song because he needed one more track for the record or something like that. I also heard that a lot of his songs were just a bunch of lines strung together from his journals. That's pretty neat. <laughs> Neato. Pretty scary. <laughs> yes. That's pretty neat. Uh, user Altger said, Fuck you all. I listen to this song when I'm flying on the airplane. <laughs> so many people telling everyone to fuck off or to fuck you. It's so good. It's so good. It just inspires just madness. And that's uh, on a plane. Okay. Because I guess he listens to it on the airplane because it's called on a plane. Of course. Um, track 12. Very quiet. Something in the way. I'm not. I'm going to talk over it. Uh, the haunting final track, Scalay. Oh. Um, Rolling Stone ranked something in the way at number five on their ranking of 102 Nirvana songs. Daniel Epstein had this to say: Kurt Cobain told Michael Azarad, and it's the uh, writer of the book Come, "Come As You Are" that was released uh, while Nirvana was still around. Uh, highly recommended book. Um, a great biography of the band. Uh, he told Michael Azarad that the lyrics to Nevermind's ominous, ominously brooding closer were written like as if I was living under a bridge and I was dying of AIDS, if I was sick and I couldn't move and I was a total street person. That was the kind of uh, fantasy of it. So Kurt Cobain says it's a fantasy. Everybody, of course, though, believes it's because he lived under a bridge. Um, he may have stayed under a bridge for a night or two, but he did not live under a may, may I suggest an alternative uh, theory? <laughs> Was he singing this next to a dumpster? Oh, yes! Yes! <laughs> yes. With tears rolling down his face. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Uh, this was written, uh, this was recorded with just Cobain in a half-strung, barely tunable acoustic 12-string while he sang uh, by himself. And then they just added in a little bit of drums from, uh, and, uh, from Dave Grohl, added in the cellist Kirk Canning, and uh, they said it just all felt like felt like dominoes. All right. Um, we have 291 comments about this track on song meanings. User emo underscore girl, <laughs> right girl style, said, "In my mind, Nirvana is the greatest band. This song is dope." <laughs> all right. Oh, I love it. User Joseph said, "I think that when he says something in the way, he thought to himself because he was living underneath the bridge." He was something like a hobo. Nice song. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, um, before we move to the bonus track, uh, I got a little story here. So, I actually didn't hear this bonus track for many months. I didn't know it existed. Um, and one night, me and the Cajun man, and there's no word of a lie here, we're over at this uh, girl's house. Her name was Darlene. 
we're sitting in the basement and we're hanging out in her room and uh, we got never mind on like a bunch of burnout teenagers uh-huh. and we're sitting there and something in the way ends and we're chatting and then like 10 minutes later this fucking song starts playing scared the fucking shit out of us it was amazing best ever um it was endless nameless this fucking ridiculous track so sinister <laughs> tricked you tricked you <laughs> um yeah it's uh i'm not even gonna read rolling stone ranked it at number 60 on their uh 100 tracks it's uh just a bunch of feedback and improvising and it's sinister and uh, there's not much to say except for my awesome story i mean that's got to be top 10 oh that's amazing story that, like right? fucking blew me away <laughs> excellent uh there were actually 77 comments about this on song uh-huh uh here's my favorite user disco underscore blows underscore dogs <laughs> there ought to be some sort of warning on hidden tracks this gave me a heart attack uh kazoo i think he meant cause uh, i was home alone and it was loud and i forgot to turn the cd player off and suddenly out of nowhere it starts whoa biblical <laughs> hey he had the same experience as you he was tricked all right let's talk about reviews shall we all right. Yeah. So uh, Nirvana, uh, Nevermind, I mean, is an album, of course, hi- very highly regarded upon release. Uh, and it's really maintained that critical acclaim to this day. Um, you know, what What else can you say? It's one of uh, it made many lists we talked about at the top of the show. Uh, let's take a quick peek, though, at some reviews uh, from some of our favorite sources, shall we? Yes. Spin Magazine uh, in 1991 uh, gave it a glowing review as well. Um, but let's let's get to our two of our favorites. Please. Um, uh, the Village Voices, Robert Criscow, mm-hmm. uh, gave this an A, his second highest rating, uh, after A+, of course. Um, after years, uh, here's what he had to say, after years of hair-flailing sludge that achieved occasional song form on singles no normal person ever heard, Seattle finally produces some proper post-punk, aptly described by resident genius Kurt Cobain as verse-chorus-verse-chorus-solo-bad-solo. This is hard rock, as the term was understood before metal moved in. The kind of sl- loud, slovenly, tuneful music you think no one will ever work on a chain, uh, will ever work a change on again until the next time it happened, happens. Whereupon you wonder why there isn't loads more. It seems so simple. So, for Chris Gow, a pretty good review. Yeah, that's not bad for Chris Gow. <laughs> and not um, not nearly as saucy as some of his other reviews. No, not not terribly saucy. Um, I bet you're wondering though. What our pals over at Pitchfork had to say about Oh, it's been a while since we've had a Pitchfork review. What did they have to say? In 2011, they reviewed the 20th anniversary deluxe edition. Do you want to know what they gave it? Uh, I'm going to guess they gave it 9.3. They gave it a perfect 10, my friend. Oh, my goodness. 10 out of 10, writer uh, Jess Harvell had this to say. Nirvana, Nirvana began their career with no illusions about their chances for mass success, and it ended by seeing just how abrasive a platinum-selling band could get away with being. But when they got their chance at the brass ring, they went at it with a bubblegum band's canniness. However much Cobain shit on the final shiny product after the fact, Andy Wallace's radio-friendly mix certainly helped sharpen this potentially no-concessions indie-to-major leap into an obvious commercial proposition. He goes on, but you know what? Again, we're running out of time. Uh, Pitchfork likes it, so it must be good, right? Oh, Pitchfork's <laughs> the only one that I yeah. trust. Um, uh, on this show, we tend to talk about tours, um, 
Let's go through it. Nirvana opened their Nevermind tour on August 15th, 91. So before the album came out with a show at the Roxy in West Hollywood, they took off to Europe immediately where they played club dates in Ireland, England, Germany, Belgium, and Netherlands, uh, wrapping up in uh, so on September 1st. They returned to North America in mid-September playing clubs and theaters, including a show at the Opera House in Toronto. Nice. September 20th, 91, just uh, four days before the album dropped. They wrapped up this leg of the tour on, on Halloween in Seattle. Spooky. Spooky times. Uh, after another rip through Europe uh, in November and December, they returned to North America after Christmas. Here's where they started playing mainly arena gigs because now they've taken off. And uh, here's here's a fucking tour. Fucking Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam with Nirvana. Um, uh, as mentioned earlier, they played Nir- uh, Saturday Night Live on January 11th, 92. Uh, they hit Australia New Zealand. Uh, they played clubs in Japan in mid-February of 92. And after a break, they started up again in June 92 in Europe. On August 30th, they played the classic uh, show at Reading. Uh, the tour round down with sporadic shows throughout September and October of 92. And uh, that's the tour for uh, Nevermind. It started Beautiful. out in clubs, ended up in arenas, so not bad. Um, a new wrinkle I've kind of added in some of it is what followed. Uh, you all know the story. Um Nirvana would uh, release a compilation in Cesticide in uh, December 92. They released their third album in uh, September 93. And six months later, uh, Kurt Cobain would commit suicide at his home in Seattle. And there's not much more to say. Dave Grohl would go on, go on to further fame and acclaim as a frontman of Foo Fighters. Chris Novoselich would release a few albums of his own, uh, mostly focusing, though, on political activities. And in their first year of el- eligibility, Nirvana inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on April 10th, 2004. 14 sorry so uh five years ago uh yesterday in nice. the hall of fame and uh that is never mind i mean for me highest recommendation for any uh music historian or lover of all types of rock and roll what do you think buddy uh i mean it's obvious i mean what do i have to say <laughs> nothing what listen to me everybody this is a big deal album if yes. you don't believe, if you haven't believed it up till this point, you can have confidence in your pal, the Slip Man. This yes. is a big deal. There you go, um, Big Man. What are we doing next week on albums or We're talking about the Police. Uh, going oh, back just to ni- another, just another uh, small seller. Right? Yeah, back to 1983. We are going to talk about Synchronicity, their final album, and uh, we will talk about bands who don't like each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, I cannot wait! I cannot wait. So until then, folks. Uh, I am at Megamix.com. And I am Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. See you next week with the police. Good night.